You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the fabulous Feinstein's 54 Below. Before we get started this evening, just a polite reminder, please take this moment to silence your cell phones, and also there is no flash photography, please. Welcome to the Feinstein's 54 Below podcast. I'm Nella Vera, the club's marketing director, and I'm super excited to welcome our guest today. She won the Miss American pageant in 2002 and has gone on to have an incredible career spanning opera, musical theater, and television. In 2007, she released Soul of Love, an album of classical music with pop stylings. On April 20th, she'll make her Feinstein's 54 Below debut with her show, Bring My Crown, Miss America Sings Broadway. Katie Harmon, welcome to our podcast. Thank you, Nella. I appreciate it. It's great to be here. We were so interested by your career because it's had a very interesting path from becoming Miss America to exploring all these other worlds. Can you talk about your career journey and how it evolved? Oh my goodness, did it evolve. <laughs> it very much evolved. So I, I've always been a musician of some sort. Uh, when I entered the Miss America competition, though, it was to pay for college for me to uh, originally become a doctor. So I was pursuing biology and I had this uh, this love for the sciences that uh, was also going to be quite expensive going into college. <laughs> and uh, I was searching for a way to pay for college because it was it was entirely on me to fund my college education, any advanced education that I was going to receive. And uh, Midway through my freshman year of college, as I am doing work-study programs in the biology lab, autoclaving flies that were part of various experiments, that's how glamorous it was, <laughs> um, I was also still pursuing music. I was still doing voice lessons. I was still doing productions. Um, and there was this kind of realization midway through that freshman year that maybe biology was something that... Um, wasn't my first love. And I coincidentally ran into my former drama director from high school, kind of in during holiday break in between that year. And I expressed to her some of my concerns. I also expressed to her uh, that I was still needing to find a way to fund the $42,000 a year that I was paying for this uh, my higher education. And she said, have you ever thought about the Miss America organization? And I had known this woman for so much of my life, and she knew me well. She herself had been a part of the program uh, when she was pursuing her education, and she had followed the evolution of the pageant. And I thought, hmm, I had never thought that this would be an avenue for me to pursue. This is kind of an unusual way to go about getting scholarship money. Uh, yeah. I was not a pageant girl in the sense of I had never competed in a pageant before, but I had done plenty of performing up to that point. I mean, I was a I was a kid performer, so I was 
con this was constantly part of my life, music was. But I was intrigued by this. I was intrigued that she thought that I could be a good fit for it. And lo and behold, I entered my first local competition, the Miss Multnomah County Scholarship Program. <laughs> And I won a substantial amount of scholarship money and I kept going in the system. A year and a half later, I find myself as Miss Oregon and on the stage at the Miss America pageant representing Oregon. And I am crowned uh, Oregon's first and thus far only Miss America. But I, the unusual part of that journey is that I was crowned right in the wake of 9-11. I remember. Yes. So I that was like, it wasn't 9-11 on Tuesday and then the pageant was Saturday. The next week, the next week. Yeah. Absolutely. The next, the next week. And my first appearances were ground zero and the Pentagon and Dover Air Force Base in the mortuary unit where the bodies of those who uh, had been lost at the Pentagon were were coming through. I mean, wow. these were the kinds of, this is, this is how that very unusual year and usual, unusual experience started. And I'll tell you, Nella, you know, all those years of being in productions and, and then something as, as tremendous as uh, performing on stage at the Miss America pageant, I sang, from Puccini's Gianni's Kiki, <laughs> because I had trained in opera, but the, that's, it was, just nearing the second week of my uh, of the beginning of my year as Miss America, I was asked to address the family members of those lost at, at a at a ceremony in uh, Crystal City, Virginia, just outside of Arlington. And during that uh, during that time, when I was asked to speak, I, I lost the word. I just, what do you say in that moment? And I'm 21 oh, years old, by the way. <laughs> and yeah. as a performer, you know, you put on the face, you you pretty much kind of know in most instances how to, how to get the words out, but I was speechless. And the only way that I knew how to communicate um, at that time was to start singing. And so I, I started singing, God Bless America. And the craziest thing happened in that moment. Uh, uh, Linda Carter, who was the original Wonder Woman, yeah, was also course. there. Legend. Legend. <laughs> Especially now. I mean, Wonder Woman is now huge in, in yeah. culture, even more so than she was then. But Linda was also there on behalf of the USO. And she was sitting uh, with family members who were also in the audience and she had on these gorgeous big sunglasses, you know, very, very celebrity. And she took those sunglasses off and she stood up and she started to sing with me. And then oh, beautiful. the rest of the families st stood and, and started to sing. And it was that moment that validated the role and the job of Miss America at that time. Because there's, there's always the question, there was always the question in my mind, is this going to be something that the world needs right now in the midst of this tragedy? Mm -hmm. And am I going to be able to do or say anything of relevance in the midst of all of this? And when she stood and when they sang, or when they stood with me and, and we all started singing together, not only did that solidify my approach for the rest of that year, but that solidified uh, what I would turn to for the rest of my life as a performer. I, I will always point to that as a pivotal moment in my career because it wasn't about the the uh, the lights 
the sound, the stage. Mm -hmm. It was about connection. And it was yeah. about using that connection that we all felt through music to, to communicate the human experience. Uh, tragedy, triumph, joy, heartbreak, all of that was encapsulated in that moment. And I've taken that with me now throughout my career. So when Miss America, uh, during Miss America, I was obviously able to get my foot in the door uh, yeah. to, to do more performances. And from that point forward, I, of course, went back, finished my education. I have to use that $75,000. <laughs> and I did every dime of it in undergrad and grad school. I received my uh, graduate degree in vocal performance as well. But I've done opera and special recording projects and many symphony gigs, uh, lots of musical theater, tons of musical theater. And uh, I do a smattering of jazz with the as a special guest with a band, Pink Martini. So my career oh, has I been- I love Pink Martini. They're so- I do too. Ooh, they're they're like the epitome of hipness, you know, <laughs> right? retro way. Yeah. It's crazy just so, how hip they are. And you feel like you should be, you know, sipping a martini, literally. That's the name of Sarah Yes, it's yeah. a party. So I feel like all of the variants of my career has just helped me to tap into um, just how much of a mirror we are as performers of the human experience. And, and I appreciate mm -hmm. all of that variance. Yeah, I, I love that because it is about bringing people together also. And I remember watching the pageant, which, you know, I would watch it sometimes with my parents, but right after 9-11, it just seemed like a very strangely patriotic thing to do. Right. Because yeah. everybody was tuning in, nobody was leaving their houses yet. Like we were here in New York, and we were going to Broadway shows because we'd been told by the mayor, go to a Broadway show. Let's not let this take down Absolutely. the city. But as soon as the city reopened, we were all going to, to see shows that we had already seen. But really on a Saturday night, there wasn't anything to do. And so I felt like the whole country watched. And even just, even if you're not interested in pageants, it's called Miss America. So it was a strangely patriotic thing to be doing at the time. And I heard that over and over again um my my first trip to new york nella very first trip to new york i'm i'm a girl from a small town in oregon was that next day after being crowned and my first day of appearances was you know good morning america and the today show and uh, a round with various news channels and regis and kelly at that time and that night with david letterman and that was David's first show back on air oh, wow. after 9-11. And so it was Mayor Giuliani was the first guest and then it was me. And that next day was when I was slated to go to Ground Zero with the USO. And I remember talking with Mayor Giuliani in the, in the green room and really getting a, an immense sense of the spirit of New York in on that first day, but especially sitting in that green room with with Mayor Giuliani and then being on stage with with David there, I basically got a New York education on that day. <laughs> and it was powerful because for someone who has never experienced the spirit of New York, for that to be my first experience in the midst of something that was 
a, a harrowing time, right? It shook the entire world, but it especially shook that city in a in a way that uh, has been very difficult to recover from. We we will never forget where we were. Yeah. So that prepared me when I went to Ground Zero. Then then the next day, I was there to provide support to respite uh, or in respite facilities as respite uh, boats. There were these respite boats that were mm-hmm. at the, in the harbor. Yeah. And I was with the USO to help serve coffee and sandwiches and, and um, talk with first responders and the rescue workers who were there in the midst of the rubble. And I, I was there for maybe about half hour uh, at first. And then I was taken to a table of three rescue workers and, um, three gentlemen they were they had worked for about 48 hours they had been on a shift for about 48 hours so they were just nearing the end of their shift i brought them over some coffee sat down started to talk to them one of them asked me to sign their helmet to autograph their (laughs) and that was a surreal moment because i thought i should be asking you (laughs) this is this is very surreal Uh, but as i'm sitting there talking one of the gentlemen said exactly what you said nella i watched you on saturday my wife, he said, my wife made me sit down and watch the pageant. And he said, as I, you know, in his thick New York accent, and he said, as I, he said, I've never seen Miss America before. And then he said, thank you. Thank you that we, that I got to see this. Thank you that, that we had the pageant, that there was something to watch that yeah. was ironically very, very patriotic. Years later, I, I attribute um, why people were, um, why they were tuning in and, and why it was so meaningful that year, because it wasn't the encapsulation of the the American dream in a way. The American dream has morphed and changed and has different meaning from when the pageant first started in 1921. Yeah. <laughs> and it started as a as a PR ploy by the businessmen of Atlantic City. And they thought, mm-hmm. let's flash a little leg from some pretty girls and get people to stay in Atlantic City past Labor Day. That's how the pageant started. But it morphed and evolved. And as we saw these young women have the opportunity to to change their lives, it, it's it became the encapsulation of um, the American dream. And so at that, at that juncture in time to see these young women continuing to pursue the American dream through something like the Miss America pageant was, um, was a balm. It was, it was soothing. Mm-hmm. It was helpful. And when that gentleman said that, Oh, <laughs> I have never forgotten that. I have a picture that my traveling companion snapped at that moment that, um, that lives with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's also, you know, entertainment. Like, you need that. You know, that's something the arts also provides to take your mind off that moment and, and bringing people together. I think I remember, um, you know, that's why they often credit Mamma Mia with being such a big hit because it opened in October in New York. And the New York Times, the New York Times reviewer was Ben Brantley. And, you know, these reviewers don't like this type of show these jukebox musicals, but he even mentioned in the review that he couldn't, you know, that this was, he couldn't be too harsh on it. And this was something that we needed. Um, And, you know, they, they kind of always credit the fact that it opened after 9-11 for its massive success, because just, we were so desperate to have fun and to have some joy and to come together. 
with other people. And that's sort of the epitome of a show that you go in big crowds. You you go with your girlfriends, you go on your bachelorette party and dance to ABBA music. I mean, what's better than that? Dancing Queen comes on. That's your cue. That's your jam. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I wanted to ask you a question about what you said about the pageant changing. And I think even in the last few years, for you know, the last 20 years, it's also changed quite a bit. Can you talk about, you know, what's different now? What I've noticed the most, I think, is that the young women really know how to use those opportunities that are presented to them. They're so smart and aware. Um, you know, not that you all weren't uh, using those opportunities either, but I think because yeah. of mass media, there's more opportunities now. Mm-hmm. for them to grab at that are more in synergy with something like the pageant. But I'd love to hear like, you know, what you think is different now and, you know, well, it certainly changed when you were crowned. Yeah. Yeah. I was crowned before social media, but it was right before the advent of social media, because I remember in, what was it? I was crowned in, in 2001, September of 2001. And 2005 is when I had my son. So I got married in 2003, just right off the heels of Miss America and, and had our son in, in 2005. And that is when I opened a Facebook account. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it was, I, I always kind of think about, wow, it really wasn't that far off of when I was Miss America, when social media started to to really explode. The differences between being a a Miss America now, as opposed to when I was Miss America, is that the media, the press attention was still very much the same. The the industry, the mechanism with which we encourage celebrity, and uh, certainly the way in which the pageant had wanted to portray the advancement of women for at that time, you know, 80 years, now it's 100 years, uh, had not changed all that much. The, the major difference then when social media became a component of what the, the modern Miss Americas were using was that more people, more young people especially, were able to see what uh, all, of, all of the ways that Miss America was serving most people were seeing the pageant on that one night a year and they would hear in the, in the news or um, in a magazine or read somewhere or watch a, a clip somewhere of what Miss America was doing, but certainly not every day. Now you can go to Miss America's feed and you get to see exactly what she's doing at all times. And so that affords young women a greater opportunity to connect with people on a much broader scale. So from I would have loved that. I would have loved that. But mm-hmm. I'm a very it's a mixed um, blessing, though. <laughs> it's a mixed blessing. Yes, I I loved the fact that I was traveling twenty thousand miles a month, and I was meeting with people personally. So the interpersonal skills that I developed went hand in hand with my personality, which is very social. I love people. I love being around people. I mean, it's it isn't any wonder that I became a performer because I, I feed off of that in-person connection with people, which is why I love performing on stage. Television's a totally different medium. Movies, totally different medium. There's nothing like having a live audience. (laughs) It's Mm -hmm. really special. So for me, I really fed off of that and it it helped me to grow um, as a performer, but also just in, in, with my communication skills. So 
and it was a much different sort of societal pressure when it came to media on Miss America at that time. So the mixed blessing of this is that the modern Miss Americas, their every step is finitely uh, Mm -hmm. scrutinized and judged. It it was for me, I felt the judgment. I felt the pressure. Um, I, I wholeheartedly dove into trying to be the most perfect person I could possibly be, which is extremely destructive. So if we think about what young people today are experiencing with filters and with social media and with um, constant barrage of having to be a brand and and have a certain appearance, um, I was able to kind of turn that off when I went back to a hotel room. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't have to post. I didn't have yeah. to show the sandwich that I was eating at that moment. And there were people with camera phones there around you following your every move. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly right. So it is. It's a mixed blessing. Um, that's something, though, that in my show at 54 Below at, at Feinstein's, I will be addressing. I'm going to be talking about the the wonderful and the terrible of what it is to be Miss America and especially addressing the trajectory afterwards. Um, Miss America is one of the best things that happens in your life. And it's also the most disruptive because you are as a young woman in today's society, we are already barraged with all of these images and, and all of these messages of how a woman is supposed to behave. And, when you are Miss America, it is expected of you for all time. You know, I could become president of the United States mm-hmm. and the headline would read, former Miss America becomes president, right? It follows me. But it, it is expected of me to constantly be someone who is engaging and intelligent and uh, communicative and kind and all of these things, all these messages that we feed to women that they have to be at all times. Heaven forbid, when you become a mother, that you have your child's shit on your shirt and you're going to the grocery store, you still have to be Miss America, right? Yeah, you can't have a bad day. (laughs) You can't have a bad day. But it's important for me at this juncture 20 years out, having done all of this self-discovery, but also for the modern woman to know that we are many things at all times many things. We are never just one image. We never have to fall into the trap of, of being typecast. <laughs> we have to take it upon ourselves to encourage other women that it's okay to, to have a bad day. It's okay to not fit into the image that has been perpetuated for years and years and years. I think now is a really good time post pandemic <laughs> mm-hmm. to start to get these messages out and that's going to be really uh, what this this show that I'm doing is about is, yeah, we're going to talk about Miss America. That's what Bring My Crown is, is like, huddle around, kids. It's story time. <laughs> you're going to get you're going to get all the good and the fun through music, which is authentically how I feel my stories and uh, the stories of others is through music. Well, and speaking of so you have a fellow former Miss America who is, I guess, on your show, uh, and she's also obviously a Broadway veteran, Kate Schindel, also the president of Actors' Equity. Um, how did you meet Kate? 
<laughs> she is a big deal. deal. <laughs> well, obviously, as Miss America sisters, we met pretty early on. But the the great story of how I officially ma- met Kate in person, I obviously knew of her. I studied her before competing. Um, she was Miss America 1998. She went straight to Broadway and, you know, shot out like a cannon. She, she's a shining star, Kate. Mm-hmm. Um, but she was doing a production of Gypsy in Portland, in my hometown, the, that weekend that I was oh, crowned wow. America. And she said that she sat in her hotel room, obviously, you know, in the midst of shows, yeah. um, because she could not miss watching the Miss America pageant. And she turned it on. And of course, she's watching me, Miss Oregon, being crowned her Miss America sister while in Portland, Oregon. She was still doing that run of Gypsy when I returned back to Portland for my homecoming. And one of my one of the first engagements that uh, I was privileged to do upon my homecoming um, was to attend that one of her productions of Gypsy. And so that was the first time that we officially met. Now, all these 20 years later, we have had um, so many instances to to get to know each other. I was in I was I spent Thanksgiving that year as Miss America with Kate, her brother and her mother and father. And they have um, Gordon and Maggie and Kate have become a very, very, very important part of my life and and of my families. The sisterhood that phrase that we use to describe the Miss Americas um, is, is really true. Anytime you have a shared experience that is both terrific and terrifying and traumatic, um, and it's difficult for anyone else to kind of understand the intricacy yeah. and, and all of the nuances of that, you bond pretty quickly and in a way that's um, very akin to someone that you share family with. So yeah, it's, it's a, like a small club of people. Yeah, I always love seeing those pictures of President Obama with President Clinton and and the Bushes because the, you know and 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 President Carter like they're the only people that know what it's like to be the leader of the free world. And I feel like the Miss Americas, you know, there's such a it's a such a small group. Yeah, um, and it's, yeah. We, but Kate is also uh, of the mindset. Uh, like me, that it is important for us as performers and as women to help people see beyond the there she is, our ideal image, to, to see the humanity behind a young woman doing a pageant to pursue her education and her career, that there's so much more to that. So our this portion of the show that she and I are doing, we're going to be doing two duets. And we're going to be hearkening to some pretty terrific Broadway ladies in this time. But we're also doing doing a really, really touching duet um, that speaks to the the portion of being Miss America, the the complexity of holding so tightly to this experience, but also wanting to move on, also wanting to to experience the world around us. It's one year in our life, Mm -hmm. but it, it folds over to so much life to follow. So this is a really special duet. We're really excited to do that. Oh, I had a chance to see her and rehearse with her last week. So 
And who are uh, your other guests? I know you have two other guests. Can you tell us about them? Uh, Jimmy Harrod is the latest uh, star for America's Got Talent. He just America's Got Talent. I met Jimmy through Pink Martini. He's also a guest with Pink Martini. Terrific singer. He's a a Pacific Northwest friend. Um, And Jimmy was a just a complete smash golden buzzer star when he sang a rendition of tomorrow from Annie on America's Got Talent and blew the world away. He is just about to wrap up his time in Vegas with their AGT live show. And uh, so Jimmy's going to join me for a, a medley of tunes. I'm very excited. And then Thomas Lauderdale, the fearless leader of Pink Martini, um, mm. Thomas Lauderdale and, and China Forbes, who's the lead singer for Pink Martini, are the, some of the dearest people in my life. And Thomas has been a fan of the Miss America pageant, someone who's followed it, but he also knows all of the intricacies of, of my experience post Miss America. And so he is going to be joining me on in some really, really touching moments of conveying some of the more uh, difficult parts of, of that year. So I'm oh, great. thrilled. And then I have one more special guest too. Oh, you do? Yes, is it a I secret do. Or are you- no, it's not. I just announced her. So I, uh, one of my, one of the things that is happening now as my, in my second life, I turned 40 mm-hmm. in 2020. Lord help us all. Right. That was, <laughs> that was no joke, but in, uh, when I went back to grad school, I met a terrific uh, Canadian pianist, prodigy pianist. Uh, she and I hit it off. Christine Eggert is her name. Christine now lives in, in Copenhagen. And mm. Christine, as fellow compatriots in academia, as uh, totally self-proclaimed and very true, true academic nerds when it comes to music history, we discovered... Um, that there were no resources within what we were being taught and what we were teaching as instructors um, about female composed music. There were no theory examples in our academic references or resources mm. by women. And there was a, a lightning bolt moment through in the midst of grad school where the two of us looked at each other and said, why haven't we known about this composer and this composer and this composer and this composer? We're doing all these classical concerts and we're doing the same five composers. <laughs> and yeah. there's not there's not a black composer among them. There's no one of Latinx heritage. What? Where are these people? What has happened? Um, why are we continuing to perform the same music? And so we took it upon ourselves basically to dive into this hidden corpus of of music by hidden composers, by by female composers and others. Mm-hmm. And in 2020, we started the Virtuosa Society. And that's oh. my next that's my next act is we have an opportunity to perform these pieces that we are uncovering and also reveal the stories of these of women who have been hidden throughout history in composition. So I'm going to do a little tribute to Dorothy Fields. Dorothy Fields 
was one of the foremost lyricists on Broadway in yeah. Hollywood as well. She's written everything that we hold dear from, you know, the, the 1950s through the 60s and, and a little bit of the 70s. But we don't talk about her in the same way that we do other other lyricists. So we're going to do a very um, meaningful to us tribute to Dorothy Fields. Oh, great. And I'm so excited. So she's flying over from yeah. Copenhagen to join. What? Uh, That's to- amazing. I know. Very, That's very incredible. Excited. I feel uh, like you should, while you're in New York, you should hook up with uh, the organization Ma- Maestra, which is, oh. you know, run by Georgia Stitt, yes. the composer, yes. Jason Robert Brown's wife. And it right. is about a community of female composers and they're great. They're and the so work that they're now. doing. Yes. Yeah. And they perform at 54 below a lot, like members of the, of the company. Oh, and, and, but you know, we just love them because they're out there. Uh, likewise, you know, yes. uh, sort of supporting young, younger composers. Well, it doesn't have to be younger, but female composers that have not come to the forefront necessarily. That's right. So yeah. Great. It's a real, it's a precipice, right? This is a, a time in history where now there are, there's more knowledge about these hidden composers. There's more knowledge about female composers in general. And that is going to start the conversation um, among musical groups and societies and, and hopefully in programming, greater programming for pops conductors, for symphony orchestras, for more to be done um, in our major performance houses as well. It, it's creating this uh, awareness, a greater awareness. And I'm, uh, this is so exciting to me and something that is very, very fulfilling work. But so fantastic, this project. Your set list for the show is uh, spanning like different genres, I think, right? Uh, what's your favorite genre to perform? And do you have any musical inspirations Oh, gosh, it's so varied. It's as varied as my career there, Nella. <laughs> I, because I'm, I, I started as an opera kid, uh, naturally, I was very drawn to the world of operetta very early on. And operetta was really, for me, the gateway to musical theater, to, to exploring uh, my voice beyond opera. And I also feel like that golden age of, of operetta is so melodically interesting. However, it was not thematically interesting. And that's what breaks my heart is that women and most characters were very much uh, typecast. (laughs) They were very, they were portrayed in one way. So that's the one thing about operetta that just drives me crazy. But melodically, it was so beautiful. And then from me to the early, leading from that, the early golden age of Broadway, uh, the, the 1930s, 40s, 50s, the, that is my favorite genre. That oh, is my fantastic. favorite era of musical theater. And throughout this show, um, my, my set list has morphed <laughs> in really, really exciting ways. Um, it's now including more pieces from this golden age, but arranged in such a way and, and within medleys that makes sense for a modern year and, and a modern time. And that excites me. I'm really, really thrilled because I feel like that's really authentic to me. It's authentic mm-hmm. to my voice. You know, when we when we talk about different voices in musical theater, mine would be considered legit soprano, meaning that 
there is there's this sense of of slight classical um, uh, portra portrayal, right? The the classic portrayal, but mm -hmm. of soprano anyway. And I there is a place for that. There's a place for all voices in mm -hmm. musical theater, which is why I feel so drawn to to doing musical theater because the it's vast and wide <laughs> there you can see yourself i want everyone to be able to see themselves on stage and there is an opportunity to do that yeah yeah definitely um and certainly you know i think that's what's special about 54 below is that we cater to the musical theater fans and aficionados and performers and not only do they come and perform show tunes but it could be somebody who is a famous soprano and they want to come and sing Beyonce and they can do that, you know, <laughs> and, right. and it's like, there's shows for everybody. We have, you know, everything from Tony award-winning uh, performers to, you know, independent singer, songwriting, writer, writing their first musical um, yes. to, you know, mem members of, you know, different choruses on Broadway who step forward and show, that they're also stars that just they just haven't broken through yet. Um, and that's what's so exciting. And even with performers like you who kind of straddled slightly different worlds, mm -hmm. um, you know, we've, I think next month, I believe, or maybe it's in, in May, we have Mary Lou Henner, who mm -hmm. she's come back, but, you know, she also started a, as a Broadway, but people know her as a Broadway performer. People know her as a this enormous TV and film star. Yeah. And, you know, but she sings and dances. <laughs> and so that's what's so fun about working for me about working at 54 Below. And, and just it's a joy to have just the variety of work that we have on the stages, you know, well, and I love that. And we do have some opera, too. Yes, indeed. And this, you know, I'll, I'll hearken to a little bit of opera during this because that's my foundation. But the show will be total Broadway tunes. I mean, that mm -hmm. uh, there is something for everyone. People will, will walk away knowing these songs that I'm singing oh, and, and I'm so thrilled for that. But I have to say that one of the performers that I'm so excited about in April, just a few weeks, a couple weeks before I'm uh, performing is Ari Shapiro. Oh, and yes. Ari, Ari is another Pink Martini friend and guest. And mm -hmm. Ari and I have been talking about this because this is his uh, 54 Below uh, debut as well. But Ari, we cannot express the number of times that people say, oh, we hear Ari every day on All Things Considered. NPR is always playing, but we had no idea that he was such a terrific performer. He has a show with Alan Cummings right now. I know. I saw that. It's so good. It's so good. Well, it's so, so funny. When we booked him, his name, the sheet came you know, yeah. into my inbox. And I thought that's the same name as, as the, all, you know, all things considered guy. And then it was the all things considered. <laughs> and I, then I fell down a rabbit hole of like, okay, oh, yeah. I, well, he sings. Cause sometimes we get Amazing. a few people and you think, do, do they really sing? Or are they just oh, celebrities, yeah. you know? Um, and I fell down the rabbit hole of his videos and I, my jaw, I had to pick it up. I, I watched all his pink martini <laughs> clips you know, oh, I watched him with Alan. I, I, I was just like, what is happening? Like my worlds are colliding. It was yes. very, very crazy, but I love that. I love that. Um, you know, I think when I was 
much, much younger, I remember where people had to stay in their lanes. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. beauty queens were beauty queens and it was very hard for them to cross over and do other things, right? And then yep. I remember even with actors, it, once you were on a TV show, that was it. You oh. were, were never cast in a film. So there were film people and there were TV people and never the two crossed over. And now you see these gigantic film stars doing prestige TV, they do because of the streaming services. And likewise, you know, to have somebody like Ari is a guest of pink martini but also has a daytime sh you know a show on npr it's it's a little bit crazy but i just love that because it means there's so much more opportunity for people that you know yeah i think young performers coming up now it's competitive and it's rough but so many of them are making their own opportunities with all this yeah. media that's available with podcasts with web series with just youtube they're young people making serious bank from their YouTube channel. True. And I think that's really great and amazing for, you know, for just opening up a world of opportunity. Before I let you go, I have to ask you, are you still living in Oregon? Yes, I live in Southern Oregon. So I married and I married an F-15 pilot that I met what? during my year. That's so sexy. <laughs> Come on. Come she, on. <laughs> um, he is. I think he's sexy. But, you know, we're in our 40s now, too. We've been married 19 years. This is our 19th wow. year. But we met at an appearance when I was Miss America. Oh, and how wonderful. Never in my wildest dreams did I think that we were going to, you know, form this relationship and, and eventually get married. And well, two can and I just tell that. you, how much cred did he get oh. for dating Miss America? Well, I'll tell you, he, looking back at this, I was like, you are ballsy. You just found my phone number afterwards through friends of friends. He got my phone number and asked, you know, would you like to go out on a date with me when you're next in Portland, which was, you know, a month or whatever it was later. Um, he just, he, his call sign is coma. So every pilot has a call sign. You know, we all know this from Top Gun. <laughs> He says coma, which is a little less cool than <laughs> Maverick and I said all that. But it's because he's pretty, like, sometimes you got to drive a stake in the ground next to him and see if he's moving. He's just real steady. Oh, he but you that for a pilot. That's exactly right. So when, <laughs> when everyone, when the, when the guys basically learned that he was going to ask Miss America on a date, it was a total, like, what? This is so odd. <laughs> But opposites attract, and uh, we, how we ended up in Southern Oregon is after we met and married and had our son, um, he was asked to be an instructor pilot for the Oregon Air National Guard. And there is a, a schoolhouse, essentially, for F-15 pilots in Klamath Falls, Oregon. And that's how we ended up in small town, Southern Oregon. Oh and we're still here 16 years later, and we love it. It is really Top Gun, a, a school for pilots. Come on, it's a school for pilots, for every <laughs> pilot. So different than the Navy that's portrayed in Top Gun, but still the same. So that's the that's the alternate yeah. life oh, that wonderful. I have is as a military spouse, but living in this beautiful rural town. And um, well, yeah. I have to say, I've spent a lot of time in Oregon because oh, my boyfriend's what? family is there in Bend, and oh. so we've gone every year for years, and then during the pandemic, we spent a chunk of it on Good. this beautiful house on top of 
a hill overlooking the mountains. I mean, could not be more beautiful place to live and just just the quality of life there is incredible. So yeah. It's really true. We feel very, very lucky. We we love Oregon. Obviously I'm lifelong Oregonian, so I'm biased, but especially living in Southern Oregon. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, Katie, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm so thrilled for your show. I can't wait to see it. Thank you. You can catch Katie on April 20th at Fine Science 54 Below with her show, Bring My Crown, Miss American Sings Broadway. Her show will also be streaming live. So it's at 7 p.m. on that night on April 20th. Tickets are available at 54below.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. been listening to the Fine Science 54 Below podcast, part of the Broadway Podcast Network. Subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.